I have a little bit of experience myself. I think it's, uh, yeah, father of the year. I got to a point where I was like inventing things. Okay. And all these invent, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was like, I I'm gonna, like, I put my, I would put like gym clothes and stuff by the door. Like I'm starting to work out tomorrow, but tomorrow would come and I'd be like, fuck. Yeah. No chance. And then you, you don't people, you know, the mental desperation, like I couldn't plan something two weeks from now unless I knew I had enough on me. Right? Yeah, there, so there was just, no vacations, was there, Tim? Right? We couldn't go. No, no. <laughs> when I stepped on the ice, I never backed down and I never stayed down. And I was vicious and I was malicious and I don't care. <laughs> Welcome, uh, Joe Kelly, to the Raw Knuckles podcast. Uh, my partner, Tim Stapleton. Tim, Joe, Joe how you guys doing? Coming on. for having me. So we'll get started. And um, listen, Joe, I, I know you wrote a book called uh, uh, The Badge, Boz, and Beyond. Um, coming out uh, the end of the month, but... Before we get into the book, I want to get into Joe and get into Joe in the beginning. Uh, and I know you grew up in Cape Cod, which is certainly a, a tourist mecca in the summertime. But when uh, the summer ends, uh, there's a long winter. And in that long winter on Cape Cod, um, there's a lot of drugs and alcohol. Um, and it, it, you grow up in that environment. How was your family life at home? Was there addiction in your family at all uh, growing up? Uh, would you grow up around the booze and the drugs? I'm, obviously, high school, you must have seen it. But growing up at home, what, what was home life like? Uh, home, uh, my parents uh, got divorced at an early age. Um, I was two. Um, and my father's side of the family had a grandfather who was an alcoholic and an uncle who was an alcoholic. Uh, another grandfather was an alcoholic. So, you know, alcoholism uh, ran through my uh, father's side of the family pretty rapidly. Um, I mean, I was raised by my mother at a young age, uh, ended up moving in with my dad uh, around 11 or 12, and then moved back in with my mom around 16, you know, as a young kid, you know, playing both sides of the street in terms of divorced parents. Um, I mean, my, my upbringing was pretty, pretty normal for the most part, you know, uh, you know, as a kid, I was, I was very blessed as a, uh, baseball and, and football player, you know, it, it paid for me to go to college, you know, where you know, I partied like a rock star in college, you know, but I was able to, uh, put that, put that stuff down. Um, when I graduated from college to begin my life and career in law enforcement, um, that's how it started. Yeah. But like you said, the, I mean, back in the day, unlike it is today, it was uh, we went in the woods and, and drank some beers and something and, you know, came back, you know, and, and today and I speak around the country, you know, it's, uh, you know, between the, the pills for, for everything you can think of. Um, it's a different world today, you know, so I'm very, very blessed to be where I am today. What college you go to? I went to Hartwick College in upstate New York. Uh, I went there to play baseball and football. And after, uh, you know, a year, I decided that uh, two sports was too much. <laughs> and I ended up uh, sticking with football uh, where I finished all four years there. Um, so you got a degree in sociology when you left there. Why um, did, uh, the the 
first responders, your, your father and uncles were first responders. And, and was that kind of what led you down that path? Or were you looking to go in a different direction? Yeah, I mean, most of my life, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a police officer. I think I was attracted to the attention and the power of the position. And I mean, as a young kid, you know, always playing, you know, cops and robbers and stuff like that. Um, my my family were more firemen. My one uncle was a police officer, but both my grandfathers were chiefs at fire departments. I believe one was in Brockton, the other one was in Stoughton, and uh, you know, my the 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 uh the laugh that they would have on me is like uh when i became a police officer oh, you took a right instead of a left <laughs> so i mean and as i got older the reason why i wanted to you know be a police officer was because you know i i was at i was gifted athletically i knew i was a person that didn't ever want to sit behind a desk you know uh football ended you know i wasn't blessed to go you know further than after college but i was grateful cuz it paid for college um and I wanted to do something where I could still remain active, you know, and, and and that's what really, you know, pushed me towards that career. And I loved helping people. You know, I loved uh, being of assistance to, to people within my community in the surrounding area. Did you get involved in any of those like firemen versus policemen, uh, like sporting events? I know there's a big hockey one in New York, right? But you, yeah. You so my, my father to this day, he still plays, he still plays hockey. He's part of the firemen and they play the police and all that. Um, the only thing I got into was uh, late at night when I was working the evening, cause I was a canine officer as well. I worked on the emergency response team uh, for all Southeastern Massachusetts and we'd go by the fire department, you know, they'd be all curled up in bed and we hit the <laughs> siren, you know? So we, you I mean, those guys were great, you know? So, uh, you know, we, it was always the tug of war, you know, calling them hose jockeys and them, them calling us stuff. So, but it was all fun. You know, it was all fun stuff. And it, it was like being part of, of a team. You know, whether, you know, it was the Montreal Canadiens or, you know, it was my college football team. It was that camaraderie together, you know, that really drew me to that profession as well was being a part of a team. That's all I ever knew my entire life. Yeah. Now, you know, a lot of friends of cops. My brother-in-law was a cop. He got killed in the line of duty, Dan McCarthy, and um, a lot of friends that are cops. And it's funny when I talk to him, um, the I talked to a lot, a lot of friends of firemen and family members, firemen and firemen are chill. They're cool. Cops are fucking cynical <laughs> bastards. And, and I like, so, you know, here you are in this position of yeah, power, but helping people. What, what's the fucking dark side of being a cop on the, like the, 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 personal dark side of being a cop yeah um you mean to be honest with you it's the stuff that we see on an everyday basis i mean it's the stuff that we see and it's i mean i think it's part of uh who i am as well as always being a leader you know a quarterback in college uh you know a high recruited athlete coming out of high school i was always the one giving the help yeah you know i mean and when you go to the police academy that's ingrained to you we're there to help people you know, and that's that mentality. And I think it comes with guys too, you know, with the ego and everything else that, that comes in. Um, the, the biggest thing is, is for me at least, and I think for a lot of uh, officers and, and firemen is the stuff that we see on a daily basis. We don't, we don't like, we just stick that Shut it off. side. 
We, we, we shut it on inside where it becomes, you know, we think that we become immune to it, but we're not immune to it. You know, subconsciously, you know, that stuff goes on the inside. And that's why the divorce rate with, you know, police officers are, are through the roof. Because, you know, what happens is, yeah, we might be able to take that incident and, and forget about it, but it comes out in different ways. You know, it comes out at home. You know, it comes out, um, you know, with our children. It comes out in, in my story. It came out when I got hurt on the job and I was prescribed, you know, opiates. You know I mean, I was like, wow, you know, this is taking out and numbing everything else. So I don't have to feel those things that I didn't want to talk to uh, to somebody else about. And part of not talking is, you I mean, you feel that you're going to be persecuted by, you know, uh, you know, people within the department or you're not going to get a raise or you're going to look weak, you know, and, and it's not just within that career. I think it's in men in general. You know I mean, and we, we stuff everything inside. And when we stuff things inside, it comes out in different ways. I couldn't imagine. I mean, if I was, I would come home, my wife's like, take the garbage out. I'd be like, take the garbage out. Like, yeah. It's like, you'd expect them to know like what, you know, uh, you know, but I, I had a rough have, day. Yeah. 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 Like the, the hours themselves. You know, you know I mean, I was, mm-hmm. I remember when I uh, became canine, you know, I was working, you know, six to like 3am or whatever, whatever the shift was, you know I mean, and a lot of guys do overnights, you know, working overnights, you know, I don't care where you're from. That takes uh, over, over time. That takes a toll on you. You know I mean, and, and, you know, especially living in Massachusetts, you know, I live in Florida now and I love it down here. I never understood until I got here or, or look back and reflected how much the climate affects your psyche. You know I mean up in Massachusetts, I can remember growing up, I never thought of it, you know, eight months out of the year, it's gloomy and gray. You know I mean, that doesn't, if you're having a bad day, you know, that really doesn't <laughs> yeah. help me much, no. you know, or the rain where it rains all day yeah. down in Florida, I could be having the worst day you know, uh, that I've ever had, but yet the sun's beaming down on you, you know, it, it helps in different ways, you know, plus a lot of the other stuff that I do today that I never did before. But Does, yeah. uh, is it common or not common? Do, do cops, do they have therapists work with, you know what I mean? Like, do they work on themselves or is that something yeah. that's kind of. I mean, so I think more today, it's more open back uh, now than, than when I was, uh, you know, on, on the job. Um, back when I was on the job, you have EAPs. I mean, you have uh, different people that you can turn to. But the thing is, is at least for me, I can speak for myself. I didn't want to talk to anybody. You know, I had it under control. You know I mean, I was I was going to figure it out. I mean, and that's the that's the, the deep rooted stuff. Like I can remember one of my first accidents was you know, was, was seeing, you know, a dad drop his phone and went head on into a box truck with his toddler in the side, you know, can you imagine showing up to, to that scene? You know, the dad had just a scratch on him and, you know, unfortunately not so much for, for the toddler. I mean, there's a lot of things that we see and that we have to deal with emotionally on the inside, you know, and, and at the time that that happened, I mean, I was just having kids myself. So it hit on a different level. You know, and we tried to, you know, hold that stuff in and people, they, they would offer, you know, they offer, you know, grief counseling, this and that, but how many of us actually take advantage of that? You mean, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. It's the macho male macho, uh, song and dance. We always hear that, you know, we don't want to be perceived as weak. We can't show weakness. And, um, it actually, we know today it takes strength to do that, but so 
you know, you get out of college, you join the force, you get going, <clears throat> see all this bad shit, get hurt, you take the biscuits, you get on Percocet, right? You started with Percocet. Um, and then um, did you eventually graduate to stronger drugs? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, first of all, um, I was put on Percocet, went over, it was the Oxycontin time of, of of where they were dishing those. I was right with you. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I had no business being on such powerful drugs. Um, but like me, I took those drugs at the time to go back to work faster. You know what I mean? To do the things that I wanted. You know, I was a washed up athlete. I'm going to play, you know, softball. I want to go do the things I wanted to do. And I was impatient. I wasn't going to sit on a couch and heal. You know what I mean? So I took these things. And when I took these things, they allowed me to do the things that I wanted to do. So as I'm doing this, you know, I'm going through them like crazy. And because of my status in the community and who I was, they gave me more and more. You know what I mean? Um, until, you know I mean, and it started to happen was subconsciously, you know what I mean? Though I was doing the things I wanted to do, you know I mean, somewhere in me, it was, it was blocking out my ex-wife who was always in my ear. You mean it was blocking out the lieutenant that was always riding me. You mean it was blocking out those feelings of stuff that I never wanted to talk about. You mean for failure of uh, thinking that if I did talk about these things, it would stop me from getting a raise or make me look weak or it would hinder me in some capacity that I didn't want to be looked at in that in that type of way. But all that inner stuff was going on. So it it's it's speedball very quickly, you know, in uh it, red flags would pop out, but you know, I, I didn't see them. You mean like small, minute things, you know, I was taking more and more. And then it got to a point where, you know, after a midnight shift, I, if I was out of pills, I would go to the local hospital in full uniform complaining about my knee and they'd give me what I, what I wanted because of who I was. There was no questions asked. Um, and yeah, it transpired the, the long of the short, my whole story, as you'll read, read in my book as well, it went from taking pills orally to sniffing pills, um, to injecting pills to heroin in the end. Yeah. And again, like myself, I ended up in the same place, but when I was in, um, uh, the beginning stages of using the drugs and not understanding what addiction's about and the uh, the uh, way uh, we graduate to more pills and more pills and then the next drug and then stronger drug and then the heroin. Um, when you're on that path and you're saying to yourself, I want to, I know I got a problem. I want to kick this shit. I want to get off it. And then you try that first time. You try and get off the fucking pills the first time explain to me just how painful that was for you and saying, what the fuck is going on with me here? Because I've done it, you know, and I've tried to kick it on my own. I'm like, there's only one thing that's going to take this pain away. And more it, pills. And you, you can't be more right, Chris. Uh, you mean, before I graduated to, you know, those stronger drugs or even injecting anything, you know, taking those pills orally, I wanted to stop, you know, but nobody told me when they first gave me, you know, that bottle of pills that, hey, if you take this and in 30 days when you stop taking it, that you're going to feel the way that I felt, you know, the first time that uh, I, I ran out, I was like, you mean, my legs were cramping. I was foggy. You mean, I was irritable. 
It was like, I couldn't, I was sweating. I was so uncomfortable and I had no idea, you know, back then, maybe I wasn't looking at it. I had no idea what was going on. I just knew yeah. if I took something, it was going to make me feel better instantly. So I could continue to do the things that I needed to do as a productive member of society. You know I mean, and that's how it started. Yeah. And the big thing is I had kids too. So my kids were like, you know, three and one at the time when it, when it first went down. And, you know, when I was on something, I was father of the year. I was hanging out by the tree, like doing, being playful, yeah. like all this stuff. When I didn't have anything, it was like, here's a bowl of cereal. And I'd go lay down or, or try to do whatever it is to try to get through it. But eventually it always led to me, you know, trying to find more. Yeah, uh -huh. no, I, I, uh, I have a little bit of experience myself. I think it's, uh, yeah, father of the year. I got to a point where I was like inventing things. Okay. And all these invent, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was like, I I'm gonna, like, I put my, I would put like gym clothes and stuff by the door. Like, I'm starting to work out tomorrow, but tomorrow would come and I'd be like, fuck. Yeah. No chance. And then you, you don't, people, you know, the mental desperation, like, I couldn't plan something two weeks from now unless I knew. I had enough on me. Right? Yeah, there, so there was just... no vacations, was there, Tim? Right? We couldn't go. No, no. <laughs> like I remember, like it's yesterday, no. and and then and then you want to talk about the progression, the dishonesty that comes. A lot of my stuff, my mm -hmm. my poor ex wife. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it it got to a point where yeah, I was getting it the way I was getting it because who I was. But back then, then I got then I got shut off by the insurance company. They red flagged me. So they're like, you're getting way too much stuff from like several different doctors. What's going on? You can't have any more until a certain date. I'm like, a certain date? I can't get by the next 24 hours. Right? Yeah. So then what happened was I started getting it from people I went to high school with that I trusted. You mean that I, that I, or at least I thought I trusted that they, that I could buy them off of them. Now I had to come out of pocket for these things. So when you share a bank account with, with your wife and your finances are going out, let me tell you what it, it, it got, you know, I got very creative. You mean as a police officer, we have bulletproof vests that we wear. We have boots. We have new equipment that we have to get. I was telling her every lie under the sun needed this. I needed that needed this three months later. She's looking at me. I'm still walking around in the, the raggedy old shit that I had. No, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like who am I fooling? Who am I yeah. fooling? You live uh, like, yeah, I think that was one of the biggest reliefs was like the monkey off the back of like, I don't live this double. You're living a double life, yeah. right? Like yeah. you have, it is the number one priority and it controls you and it lies to you. Like you said, it starts off like I had thought the same thing. Dad of the year, I talked to more people. It gave me like energy. Yeah, almost, me too. Right? Like, you know, and then by the end of it, it was like, I was like either dad of the year or like suicidal. Like it was, I didn't, you know, it was, just, it was, it's the devil for sure. So that was the early days. So let's not talk about yeah. going into the dark. <laughs> yeah. so that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So you're working still, you're addicted to pain medication and, um, you're going around town, you get up in the hospital, you shut up by an insurance company, starting to dig into your pocket now. You're going to supposed friends. How long does it take before this gets back to the police chief? Yeah, it, uh, I remember it like it, it was yesterday. The uh, police chief, he was a, a new chief who came in like my third year. So he was with me for about five or six years and we were actually like really close. So he wasn't just the police chief. He was a close personal friend of mine. Uh, and he, he, what happened was 
uh, somebody got pinched on something. And I guess I was at a, at a house. And uh, when he got pinched on something, he brought up the fact that he had heard that I was getting some stuff from somewhere else. So the chief brought me in. He actually sat me down. It was one-on-one. And he says, hey, Joe, he goes, we got this guy who's saying some things. And uh, I mean, I think he's crazy like this and that. And me, you know, being the good addict that I was at the time, right. they covered all the facts and everything else. He said, he goes, if it is true, Joe, he goes, we can get you some help. We can, we can get you out of this. But the thing is, is, the only thing that I heard at that point in time, Chris, is when I got confronted with that, my whole, my, the, I'm going to lose my job. Yeah, the guilt, the shame, and everything that was in me, it was protect at all costs. I was about to lose everything I had ever worked for. You know, and looking at it now, they were just looking to get me some help. I probably would have kept my job if I stayed the straight line. But all I heard was, tell me everything you know so I can fire your ass. That's all. Yeah. That's all I heard. That's all. I, and this was coming from somebody who wasn't just the chief. It was a friend. I trusted right. nobody when it came to that. No, right. you know, so what happened was he goes, all right. And uh, he goes, I believe you. Like he had no reason not to, you know, and there was an investigation done. They actually put the guy on a polygraph and he passed it, you know, and I still held, held, held on to the, that thing's wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was not going to mm -hmm. come forth. So eventually so, I ended up resigning, resigning from my job. And, and how that, long, how long from that meeting till you resigned? I'm I'm guessing a little bit here. I think it uh, probably two months. You mean? Okay, so it was pretty quick. Yeah, it was pretty quick. Yeah. They got to the bottom of it. Yeah, they they got to the bottom of it real quick. Uh, I think they took me off the road, you know, right away while while it was under investigation. Um, and then you know, here's here's another thing too is like even when I did resign. To like go get some help, even though I'm denying it and everything else. Um, get some help, and if you need some recommendations, you get your stuff together. Because I was good at my job, you know. I was a high-ranking, yeah. you know, officer. You know, obviously, people felt bad for me in terms of what I was going through, and uh, you know, all 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 I did is when I resigned, my wife left me, took the kids, emptied the bank accounts. Um, I had at that time of my life was probably the lowest point of my entire life. Everything that I had done up to that point, um, be, being the big fish in the little pond in terms of an athlete, I was always put on a pedestal. I was always in the paper for good things, <laughs> you know, and then yeah. and then all of a sudden I had nothing, absolutely nothing. Or at least that's how I felt, you know, and, and, and people pushed me away. They were probably pushing me away to see how I respond. And you know what? The attitude came in where I'm like, oh, I'll show you. But the problem is, is the only ones the only one I showed was myself because the wheels ended up falling off the bus. Yeah. So you leave the, the job and then uh, things go downhill from there. You uh, the progression of the disease certainly already uh, taken hold, but then it goes to another level. Uh, explain to me what that was like. And then um, you end up getting arrested. How long after you leave the police force are you? Uh, now going to be going to court because you you got to make some money. So you're going to sell some of these pills. I think it was about eight months or so, you know, because what, what happened, what transpired was um, I, I finally gave in and said, I'll go to detox. Yeah. You know I mean, because it was kind of out there a little bit. And uh, I, I mean, I had, I personally, I had nowhere to go. Um, 
And when I walked into detox for the first day, the lady said there, and I won't mention the place. She goes, you sure you want to be here? Because gauzy, because she knew who I was. She knew who I was. And she didn't know how that would take by me going in somewhere. I'm like, and my, I go, it doesn't matter. That job's gone. So I went in and when I went in, that's when I got served with like a, a restraining order from my ex-wife. You know I mean, like I felt like I was a dog that had just got kicked down. But on the other hand too, you know, she was finding out every lie I had told to cover up my addiction while I was trying to take care of myself, you know? So I get it as well. It was just a very tough time in my life. And what happened was, is literally what happens to a lot of us. The whole world was casting me out and, and saying this and saying that. And, you know, I, I go into detox for the first time and I run into a young, a young woman who's going through the same things that I'm going through and is telling me how life is okay. And it's the first time I ever shared what was going on with me. So there was an instant connection. Yeah, man, there was an instant connection, you know, with that. And because I was feeling so alone and they always say how you're trying to fill, fill that, fill that uh, empty space, you know, that's, that's what I did. I, you know, and unfortunately this, this lady was uh, far worse off than I was, you know, and, and, and I had the, I had the finances, you know, through credit and, and, and this and that. Um, so it, it, it got ugly, you know, when the finances ran out, I did what everyone else did to, to uh, get what they needed. And uh, eventually I got, uh, I got caught with a uh, significant amount of weight. They charged me with trafficking. And this was after I was getting warned by people. I just, at that mm. point in my life, I was just hoping. They ain't going to catch me. Yeah. They're not going to catch me. But it wasn't me. even just that, Chris. It was more like, I didn't think I'd live to pay the consequences of anything. I didn't want to live. I had lost everything. Like I saw no hope and I didn't care about my actions because I didn't think that they'd say, well, this might come back and this come back. And I would hold on to, well, these two things ain't coming back. So I don't care, you know, and, and I literally, I'd wake up the next day and I'd be like, oh, I got to do this all over again. I mean, I did not want to wake up, but I didn't have the balls to do it myself. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it was a very, very sad, you know? So yeah, I walk into court. I, well, they raided the house. They took me in cuffs. Now, everything goes on the front page of the paper everywhere across Massachusetts because of who I'm a police officer. Yeah, it was uh, I had reporters jumping out from behind trees trying to interview me after I got bailed. Um, I mean, I had everyone the the town in which I grew up with in the surrounding area, you know, most of my life you know, it was all good things. And then the first time in my life, the front page of the paper and I couldn't go anywhere without anyone knowing me, you know, how the Cape is. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Small town. And, and Falmouth, um, certainly, is, you know, everybody certainly knows everybody's business, but, um, it can be that way. But so you end up going to court, you end up, um, judge ends up sentencing you to the house of correction, what, two and a half years. Yeah, actually, I went to court, released on personal recognizance, and then over like a six month period of time, I didn't go to, I didn't get uh, brought in or indicted for six months uh, later. I I honestly think they were giving me the opportunity to get my my stuff together somewhat. Um, And what happened was, is once that happened, you think I would have put up the white flag and said I got to do something? Nope, 
I went even harder. And every time I'd go back into court, you know, for to hear to that one charge, there'd be like 10 other charges for nonviolent, you know, uh, criminal drug offenses. You mean like credit cards, you know, that or doing this. And finally, the judge said, are you guys going to indict this guy or what? You mean? And finally, they indicted me on March 10th of uh, it. Well, yeah, March 10th of uh, 2010. And uh, they, uh, the judge looked at me and he says, I don't know how you've been on the, on the, on the uh, road this long. He goes and they, they sentenced me that day or they gave me no bail. And the sentences sentence was later. So you go so the you, were, you, you were using actively mm-hmm. up to this point, all the yes, way up to this point, all the way up to that point. So like detox for you was, was it in jail? jail? Yeah, like, over that period of time between sent mm-hmm. up, up until the point I was sent detox to me was just a place. Cause I had no place to go to stop, to try to, you know, get some, um, clarity. But every time I went in, my, my biggest problem was self-forgiveness. I could not forgive myself. And unfortunately, you know, obviously with my background and who I was and my upbringing and all that, I had, you know, I felt alone. I felt that nothing was coming back. You know, I mean, that's the best way that I can put it up is say is I did not want to live anymore, but I just didn't have the balls to do it myself. So I know jail doesn't work for a lot of people. Jail worked for me because it gave me the time I was unwilling to give myself. Right. So I was going to ask you, obviously, jail's got to be such a negative oh. experience, but it was, was it a turning point for you? It was. You, you can imagine being a police officer that goes to prison. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I remember going in and the first day, you know, my law enforcement training kicks in. As soon as I get in there, I'm looking around, I'm scanning because I'm looking for, you know, anywhere there might be a fire, so to speak, or what's going to be coming at me. Um, and I, no one really said anything to me. But then I sat down and I, and I ran into a kid from my hometown and I look over and he goes, you know, I know who the fuck you are, right? And I looked at him and here's my mentality popping up again is I don't really care at all. Yeah. And, and, and I forgot to tell you, when I first went in, they tried to PC me because of who I was. Yeah. Um, but my mentality kicked in again is I don't want to be PC'd. I signed, signed, signed the waivers not to be PC'd and I went into general, general pop. So oh, go ahead, Tim. Uh, did you have something? Oh. All right. I, I was going to say, so you, you say no PC, you go into general population. Um, now you got to fend for yourself. And what was that like? So you see that one kid, but I'm sure if that one kid knew fucking word spreads fast in there, how did you take care of yourself in there? I mean, I established, I mean, the first three weeks were, were tough because I still thought that I could manipulate my way out. You know what I mean? I would call my parents. The only, and my dad wasn't really talking to me. My mother was the only one, you know, she was more of an enabler, you know, but she loved me to death and she only was doing what she thought she could do. And, and being the person that I was at the time, I'd, I'd be like, ma, they're going to kill me in here. You need to find the money to raise, you know, to get me out of here. I used every manipulation tactic that I could on anybody that would listen to me to try to get me out of there. And no one, no one came for, no one came for me. And, uh, you know, for the first time in my life, 
uh, or at least in a long time, you know, I couldn't manipulate my way out of a situation. And I, and, and after like probably a week, I accepted the fact that I wasn't getting out. I kept to myself the best I could surround myself with the best possible guys I could inside. Um, and you know, I, I continued on a routine. You mean, um, this is where God works in my life. You I mean, I don't know how I survived that because there were instances where other blocks were yelling five Oh five Oh, you know what I mean? And guys that, that I was housed with, you I mean, they'd play, they'd say certain things, but I never had a huge issue in the beginning. You know what I mean? Um, and then I had the opportunity to go into the drug block and I took that opportunity because I thought it was a way where the drug block was a little smaller yeah, I thought that I could go, and that's where an environment that I could probably control a little bit better than a than a, than a big block. Yeah. Uh, and when I went into that, it opened my eyes to a lot a lot of different things. You know, it's the first time in my life that I had to take a hard look, you know, at where I was because how I looked at it was one day I'm on, on top of the world, the next day I'm sitting in a jail cell saying to myself, "How the fuck did I get here?" It was like it was just like that. And, uh, you know, the thing is, I wasn't raised like that. You know, a lot of those things, um, you know, I had kids I missed, um, you know, and while I was in prison, it started to change from um, why me to why not me, you know, and and I started to really do a lot of work on myself in there, reading a lot of positivity type of stuff and books and self-help. And, you know, I got into you know, the AA and the NA and whatever I could get myself into to pass time. But it was really, you know, thinking about who, who I was and, and how that had happened and what I needed to do. So how many months do you end up serving? I did 19 months of a total incarceration. I ended up getting uh, released. I was supposed to be five years of probation, but I, I think you remember, remember that big Boston uh, drug lab s- scandal? Yeah. Uh, so they dropped the probation. They told me I could retry my case and maybe get the, the stuff dropped. But they said, if I retry it and I'm found guilty, I'd have to redo the time. I'm like, yeah, I'm all set. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did 19 months and I got out and that's when the, that's when the real work started. The yeah. real work, because now all I ever knew was law enforcement. And now like everyone that comes out of prison and now I have a felony on my record. You mean nonviolent, but it's still a felony. Now, how am I supposed to use my college education or anything that I was good up to that point to to get a job? You know that paid something that I thought was significant. You mean what was I gonna what was I gonna do with myself? My license was suspended because in the state of Massachusetts, that's what they do with drug charges. You know, so you want to talk about? I've never felt so bare naked probably since birth. Yeah. Did you, uh, were you still like having cravings to use or like get back into this? No, how is, no. no. After 19 months, you mean, you mean, I, the, I mean, obviously emotionally when things aren't going my way. Yeah. It's the easier yeah. thing to do, right? Like that's yeah. right. Like, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. But wow. Yeah. So, you know, when I got out, you I mean, I took the first job I ever took was a landscaping job and not that, you know, I had done landscaping my whole life as a, as a teen. But, you know, I, I was I was landscaping in the town I used to work in. You know, the cruises would come by. Humbling. Yeah. Uh, what's that? It's humbling. Oh, very. Cruises would go by. I'd, I'd hide behind trees so they didn't see me. 
You mean I, I mean my 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 self purpose at that time. I didn't know what I was going to do or or or. or what was going to be an impact for me until I found some purpose, you know, and that purpose was when I made the decision that I couldn't change any of the things that happened to me. You know, I remembered who I was and I'm saying, you know what, what if I can use this, this story to help out other people, you know, maybe, maybe by me being vulnerable, you know, and, and recovering loudly, it can help those who are dying silently. I mean, because I know there were others, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't the first police officer who had just ever gone through this. I wasn't the first CEO who ever gone through this, the first professional hockey player who ever went through this. You yeah. know? So it, it gave me, you know, looking at people like yourself, Chris, or looking at other people, you know, that had a stage, it's almost like a fallen leader type of thing. And, and I love that quote. It's like somebody took the same situation you're complaining about and they won with it. And it was inspiring to me. Yeah. Yeah. The key so, word, that key word you used earlier is hope. That's, you know what I mean? Like giving someone, you know, it's, it, it's like you tell your story and it's like, maybe you can give someone hope, um, which is, which is awesome. It's amazing. But it goes even further, Chris is like where my life really changed was when I actually left Massachusetts and came to Florida. I mean, that's where everything changed yeah. for me. Um, well, they say there's no geographical cure, but anyway, you you come out of prison and you, you felt naked, so you start getting clothed again. You get a job as a landscaper, so you throw a t-shirt on. Oh, you put the underwear on first. <laughs> the underwear. You got to put the undies on first. Yeah. yeah. And, and you start getting clothed again. And and what's the next move for you, Florida, and then? Then how does everything change? Because it's certainly the uh, steadfastness, the perseverance, getting getting that second chance. When did that come for you? So the first chance was uh, I, I actually took a job at Gosnold. You know, I worked there after yeah. after landscaping for a little bit, um, and I had the background in degrees. Tina, Tina, baby, yeah. I love Tina. Martha. I love Martha. <laughs> you know, so I ended up uh, taking a job there as like a uh, an RA, and eventually I became a uh, a counselor there. So I was a counselor there, um, and then when I transitioned from Gosnell to come down to Florida, it was after the death of my cousin who died in front of me. <coughs> Excuse me, died in front of me in a boating accident, um, and I had a, a small relapse because I allowed in Falmouth. In Falmouth, yeah. In Falmouth, died in front of me. There was no drink or anything else. We were all having a family thing. The boat was anchored in the water in a lake. It didn't hold. The boat got away. We were treading water for 20 minutes, me and him in the water. And uh, they finally got the boat started, but he had gone under. You know, another God moment in my life. You know, and and, and another, another example of um, why I do the things that I do for those people that I've lost that meant a, a lot to me. Uh, but I ended up uh, coming down to Florida probably a week after that. I just said, you know what? I can't ex – because of who I was and my status within that community and because of, you know, the athletic, you know, all the awards and everything else, I was, well, I could not escape my past there. I wasn't going to be more than a counselor at Gosnold. I wasn't going to be more than a landscaper. I wanted more. So I said, you know what? I had some friends in Florida. I came down here. Um, and I started working in the, in the treatment industry. Um, and I, and I, and then I met my wife, 
you know, which uh, changed my entire life. First lady I ever dated in Florida. I ended up marrying her six months later. We've been Maritza. Yeah, Maritza. Now, where, 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 did you, uh, where did you two meet? We met at a cookout. We met at a cookout. Okay. One of my friends looked at me and I, I looked at him. I go, I like her. He goes, you don't stand a chance. And if you know anything about us Boston guys, <laughs> that's all we have to hear. <laughs> um, so literally six months later, we were married. You know, and now we have three beautiful children. Been married for eight years. Um, we own two multi-million dollar. Uh, we own a wellness center and a training school. Um, but rewinding back, she was a big change in my life because at that point in my life, I literally had nothing materialistic, but I felt whole again. I did a lot of work on myself. I did the 12 steps. I did a very, very elaborate fourth step. And it was very easy for me because all my stuff was in the front page of the paper anyway. You know what I mean? For the most part. Um, and I, and I found out who I was, you know, and I started, you know, working more in that environment. And, um, she was doing a lot of different things like meditation and Reiki and yoga. And because I wanted, you know, to be with her and do some things, I started doing some of the things I probably wouldn't have done for my egotistical, you know, law enforcement type of thing. And you know what it is, is I actually enjoyed it. It brought me some peace and some calmness. So she opened the door to a world I was unfamiliar with, and it started to change me little by little. And then she said, uh, she goes, hey, let's go get uh, let's go to this get trained in NLP and uh, take this course. And uh, long story, NLP, NLP. NLP is Neuro Linguistic Programming. So basically, it's the roadmap to the mind. It's mindset work. Um, When I took it, I went up there. It was more personal development for me. But you got certified in it to work with other people as well as as coaches or, you know, however you wanted to work with somebody. And it caught fire with me. It changed it. When I took practitioner, made me a better father, a better human being, a better husband. Like I loved it. So then I took it from, from practitioner to master practitioner. And then I became a trainer in it, both me and my wife. And that's what we do for a living is we travel the country. We speak everywhere, you know, about mental health, substance abuse, or we work with high executive CEOs on how to establish their their uh, their bottom line and increase revenue through the NLP pro- sales process. Or we work with a lot of people in coaching. Um, but I loved it. It changed everything for me. Um, and with my background of being undercover, interview, interrogation, you know, command present, my law enforcement experience and everything that I learned in the 10 years of law enforcement, it, it brought all of that together and made me who I am today. You know, so I, I, I thank my wife up and down for taking a chance on this guy that had nothing at one point and obviously saw something in me I didn't see in myself. And, and you know, that guy that had no hope in the beginning, Tim? I never thought my wildest dreams I'd be sitting, you know, here talking with you guys or even doing the things that I'm doing and traveling the country. And, and, you know, I used to hate that. You'll have a, what was the comment back in, you know, AA back in the day is you'll have a life beyond means. You know, I used to hate it because I'm like, that stuff's not coming back, buddy. I don't know if you know me. Right. Yeah. And today I have more. Than I've than I ever had even prior to me sticking a pill in my mouth. My life is so much better, and it's better because the impact that I'm having on others out there. 
I mean, I work with five clients a day in terms of coaching and there are a variety of different, different clients, you know, whether it's on sales and communication model, whether it's on personal development, you know, you name it. I mean, we do it and I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. You found a uh, new calling and uh, certainly didn't do that alone. And um, I think that's one of the things of the addiction, difficult to ask for help for the addict, a lot of us anyway. But, you know, um, I happen to be part of your uh, breaking the chains of uh, addictions and and mental health uh, back in May with you in Falmouth. So you went back to Falmouth. Now, I'm sure you've been back there before that, but this time you came back, everybody knew you were coming back because you were putting on um, that symposium, breaking chains, breaking the chains, addiction and mental health. How different was it going back this time? Now, you know, you're coming back to town to, to send a message. You're coming back to, you know, try and bring awareness. Um, were, were you a little kind of nervous coming back? I, I was, you know, and it's funny. I, I, I speak all around the country, but I was, Extre- I was looking forward to it, but also extremely nervous. And, you know, to tell you, I can sum it up in one, one word, you know, being 12 years removed from all that stuff that happened and coming back. And like you said, I'd been there plenty of times, you know, uh, mended a lot of friendships with uh, the police department's friends, you know, seeing my kids, this and that. Um, it was closure for me. It was like, the, it was closure. I mean, I felt like I, it was a point in my life that I had something to give back, you know, to the town in which I caused some chaos and, 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 and it was like sitting up there and speaking and having you present, Chris, and having a lot of people from around the country that I become friends with to be able to bring back something to that community to help out with what they have going on down there. It meant everything to me. You know, and the funny part was, is all those newspapers that I was on the front page of back in 2008, 2009, um, I contacted all of them prior to going to Massachusetts. I said, hey, I go, you guys wrote all kinds of stories about me back in 2009. Uh, How would you like to redo that, redo those articles? And all of them did it. It was amazing. It was so good to be there. And it felt so good to... I mean, I don't know how much to sell it up, but it was like, it was just closure for me. Yeah. And, you know, that was good. It was awesome to be part of that. It was awesome to meet you and uh, Maritza I, I, and your, your kids, obviously, there. But, you know, and then your dad. I, I could see your dad, how proud he was. Because I, I went through the same thing with my dad. My dad watched me go through the addiction and the alcoholism and and when I got to the other side of it to realize how proud he was to see me healthy and ha- happy. And I saw that in your father. It was awesome. It was awesome. And it's funny you say that, Chris, because, you know, for me, you know, being at the point in my life, you know, I've been through a lot, you know, and I, and I can take a lot, but it meant a lot to me to be able to do that, you know, for my dad, you know, because he took a lot of flack. We share the same name. You know, yeah. he talked about me for years in sports and this and that. And, you know, those people that don't have good agendas finally had their their turn to put their foot on my head, you know, after yeah. him for all those years. And, you know, to come back to show, you know, where I was, 
how I had fallen and how I had picked myself up to where I am today. And for him to have that ability for me to, 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 to feel that and to, you know, it meant, it meant everything to me. It brings tears to my eyes just thinking about it. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome stuff. Um, and you got the, uh, then the, the book that's coming out. That's yeah, badge, about. Bad, the badge bars and beyond um, that's coming out uh, the end of the month. Is it, um, where can you get it? The book. So basically if you go to badgebarsbeyond.com, you put in your email, uh, you'll get the first chapter for free. It'll tell you everything about me. Um, but the book, you know, I mean, despite the title of it, it's not just a book for, you know, people that are struggling with substance uh, use disorder or mental health. You know, the book was written for, you know, the fallen leader, you know, the divorcee, the bankrupt professional. You know, it's for people, you know, it's a hero's journey type of story, but it's not just about my story. It's how I transformed my life and how I got, you know, to be where I am today. You know, to be a convicted felon, you know, to build a multi-million dollar business within the stigma of all of that, you know I mean, says a lot. At least I think it does. You know, no, it does. A lot, no is, a lot of it is mindset. You know, a lot of it's mindset. It's uh, it's a lot of different strategies. Um, and it and I tell everything in the book. Um, and I'm very proud of the book. And uh, the, people have been trying to get me to write it for years. And I just wasn't ready, you know, to do it because it's, it's sort of like if I had wrote that book, you know, seven years ago, you know, it probably would have been a lot different than when I wrote it, you know, now. Not that it was lying. It's just the perspective change on things, the growth within me, how I perceive things differently. You know, so, you know, a lot of people called and asked, hey, am I mentioned in the book or this and that? Mm -hmm. you know, pretty funny. And it, Any bad shit? Yeah, yeah. And and I said, no, it, it's not a book that was written to hurt anybody. It was written, you know, for it's my story from my perspective, you know, that it's like a roadmap, a GPS system for those that, you know, have been a fallen leader. You know what I mean? That need need a wake up call, you know, and, and, and I, uh, I hope people read it. But more importantly, I hope people learn from it. That's awesome. That's good stuff. Tim. <clears throat> You're no, pick, I'm, it, Tim, you're going to pick up a copy, aren't you? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, this is an incredible, you know, um, I appreciate you sharing all this, obviously. What would be like kind of for someone that's in it that wants to get out, you know, because people don't realize that when you're like in the heart of that addiction, like mo most of the time, like we don't want to be doing that. Like we're suffering and, we, you know, what would you what would you say? Like is, is it a, 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 like a kind of a message to that person, obviously, the guy. For me, it would be like you're, you know, from my experience, it'd be like you, you can't, there's no way you can't get out of this alone. Like you're not going to get out of this by yourself. I don't know. What would be kind of like your message, I guess? Well, I think, I think yeah, yeah, for me, I needed, uh, I needed some hope and, 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 you know, whether or not I could have hope in myself, I needed it from some other, other people to have hope in me, you know, to show me the way, you know, I'm not just talking about like a sponsor or an AA group. I'm talking about, you know, personal development type of stuff. You know, for me right now, I've I've had a coach for the past seven years, a business coach, a life coach. You I mean I've had people that I can look to and turn to that uh, don't like pat me on the back. They call me on my shit. You know I mean, that's what a true friend is. You know, I used mm -hmm. to have a lot of friends that would talk me over the ledge. You know what I mean, now I surround myself with people that are like, you know, Joe, that might not be a good idea. You know what I mean, mm -hmm. so it's surrounding yourself accordingly. 
you know, but more importantly, I think a lot of us, and I, and I like to speak just myself because I don't like to say what other people are going through. Yeah. Um, but it's for me, it was all about personal forgiveness. It was forgiving myself. And yeah. for me, I'm into God. You know, I was raised Catholic, but I just, I'm just i just coming off a four-day men's church retreat. So I'm spilling God left and right. And I'm fine with that. But it's unconditional love. We all make mistakes. You know, don't be defined by your mistakes, but be defined by your perseverance in overcoming those mistakes. You know what I mean? Be an example. You know, I mean, stop saying why me, stop saying why not me. Like for me, maybe I went through everything I went through. So my kids never have to go through it. I don't know. It's positive yeah, it's, thinking. Uh, I mean, it's like everything had, that happened to you has happened for you today, right? Exactly. Like, you know, and, and, and for, you know, I just, uh, the guilt. Yeah. That's, that's a phase. Like you gotta get, like for me, I'm slowly kind of overcoming that where I look back and I'm like, you know what? That's who I fucking was. Right. That's I'm not that person today. And, right. and, you know, that does take a lot um, for me to 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 realize that I do that only with other people. Like I can only, you know, really believe that and be honest and with myself with with help. So, I mean, it's uh, once again, your story is amazing. And Tim, um, there's this power, there's power <clears throat> in taking taking ownership, because when you take ownership of something, you have the ability to do something about it. You know, fear you know, it runs rampant through us. You mean, but if you run from something, it's still going to be there. Face it head on. Take it on. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't have expectations on stuff. You know, do the next right thing because what expectations are, they're premeditated resentments. And that's what we're, we get engulfed with that stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? So my thing is, is I just try to be a better person today. I can't change any of that stuff from, you know, 10, 12 years ago, whatever it was. But what I can do is be an example for my kids today. Like even my my uh, 14 year old, he didn't know a lot of this until I told him when he was, you know, uh, around 10 years old. And, you know, what? I told him because I want him to be wary of drugs and alcohol. I want him to be wary of stress and how it affects you. I want him to be wary of where, where my road led. But also, I think this power in my story to show him that, you know, when you make a mistake, you own it. You pick yourself back up and you do the next right thing. There's power in that. Yeah. And, no and you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Like, you know, no yeah. One's, we're not perfect. It's that yeah. progress, not perfection. I should apply this to my golf game, though, because the expectations of what I think I'm going to shoot <laughs> to resenting and hating the game of golf every round, you know. Well, Tim, but, if you go, <laughs> you go to obtainingmastery.com, we do work with golf. <laughs> okay. Okay. On the That's why I, that, that, I, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's great. So there's hope. There's hope in my golf game. Is what Absolutely. You're right. But it's, you know what I, because we do a lot of coaching and coaching is probably the most, uh, it's the most available thing out there. You know what the problem is though, is in order to, you know, grab somebody for coaching, you need to have humility. You know, humility is the ability to ask for help, right? That doesn't mean that I'm at a, uh, better than you, Tim, or better than Chris. It just means that I might be stronger in one area. Do you know what I mean? It's like if I want to learn how to play hockey, I've never played in my life, right? Who am I going to ask? I'm going to go to Chris. I'm going to ask him about stuff. You know what I mean? There's certain things that especially as men, you know I mean, we don't want to ask for help in anything. We'd rather, you know, it's like me trying to fix something in the house. 
Let me tell you, oh. what, it's an ugly sight. <laughs> yeah, I learn every day I'm wrong, how wrong I am. I still like at times I'm like, you know, it's just ingrained in us. We're like, I know what's best. And it's like by the end of the day, I'm just like, sorry, babe. Sorry. <laughs> you know, but, you you know, you learn. You try not to make the same mistakes twice. And yeah, I mean, it's it's about progress. So, yeah, it's, awesome. so it's amazing. We got that coming, Chris. Uh, the uh, addiction revealed. You're on it as well. That launch. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that. I'd love yeah. to see that. So it's come. Uh, they're launching November eighth. Um, so there's twelve videos. There are uh, twelve segments, sixty to ninety minute uh, segments each. Uh, they're gonna send me some of it uh, on the eighth. So I'll make sure that you get it as well. So Addiction Revealed, who who's done by Jeff Hayes Film Production, who did Fahrenheit 9-11. They're about to launch Addiction Revealed, which I'm very excited about. So it's the book, Addiction Revealed, and we got a lot of different events going on across the country. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that for sure. Um, yeah. I forgot all about it, actually. I remember doing the interview, and uh, they were really nice people. Listen, Joe, um, I wish you nothing but the best with the book and moving forward with your business and your life. Uh Maritza, say hello. Well, and um, you know, just a just a, a awesome story of um, picking yourself up, getting back on your feet, um, putting your head down, and, and and moving ahead. You know, and that's just um, it's a great story. And um, you know, there's more of these stories are going to be um, uh, made for sure with other people in our lives. Yeah. We know addiction runs rampant in this country. It. Yeah, it's crazy. So. Um, Again, thanks for coming on with us today. Really appreciate it. And um, good luck moving forward, my friend. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks, Joe. That was awesome.